Welcome to the TCM Challenge, a monthly movie review podcast where Matt and I challenge each other to watch some classic films. This month's movie is 1950s The Great Rupert or A Christmas Wish, depending on what version and re-release and public domain version you got. And I'm Matt in Buffalo. And I'm Matt in Arizona. Well, Matt, Merry Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) Yes, there you go. I mean, what better way to celebrate it than a weird crazy ass squirrel movie right that's tangentially related to christmas i mean just to put it out there the version that i watched on amazon prime was a christmas wish i watched it on tubi and it was the great rupert and apparently there is a colorized version out there floating around that the the one i saw was in color Oh, there you go. Mine was in classic black and white. Really poor ba- uh, bit rate. Um, so a lot of like the uh, stop motion stuff was just all lost to pixelation. You know, the perfect viewing experience that you want for this film, right? I mean, it d- depends on what you thought of this film, which we'll get into. But I mean, on Amazon Prime, it was pretty crisp. I could see everything that was going on. I made a mistake. Anyhow, let's talk about what got us to this film. To recap, the films that we had to select, well, I had to select for, for December were 1950s, Madeline, A Beautiful Young Woman Stands Trial for Poisoning Her Lover, 1939's Tarzan Finds a Child, exclamation mark, what, the 15th Johnny Westmuller Tarzan movie, The Jungle King Adopts an Infant Survivor of a Plane Crash, 1945's They Were Expendable, I Had My Fill of John Wayne, so I didn't want yeah. a John Wayne PT boat movie again, you know, jumping ahead. This has the potential of being a John Wayne podcast. Let's see if we can steer away from that, but I don't want to show my hand in predictions or hopes for the next month's viewing 1950s. The great Rupert, a squirrel becomes the guardian angel for an impoverished family. I guess that's what this was about. And then finally, 1973s, the paper chase in his first year at Harvard law student Hart tries desperately to deal with the pressures of his studies, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought with that killer's row of films, I wasn't going to do all that Tarzan (laughs) prep work and we needed a holiday film. October was perfect. Well, sort of perfect for horror. It gave us a, an embarrassment of riches of movies. Yes, we settled on Aztec Mummy, Robot Clashing. But we had to get <laughs> deal with what we got here, and it was a movie about a squirrel and Jimmy Durante. That kind of sort of took place around the holidays. I, yeah, I, it is a weird film. Like, it got released in March. It takes place at least for the first act or two on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then well into the summer, I'm going to say months later. It's hard to say. The the timeline on this film is confusing. Yes. And it's a great deal of uh, theft as a result. But I think we'll get into that. For what it's worth, should we start working our way through the plot? And it gets well, wild I, right away. I mean, did, did you not want to talk about 1950 as a year at all? Oh, sure. Okay. Yes. This is one of those ones where I kind of skipped over it because if you look at what was out there in 1950, you have 
I'm pretty sure this is the year that that All About Eve came out. That's the only thing I know for sure from 1950. Exactly. And Sunset Boulevard. Which oh, yes. For my money, How can I forget? Right. For my money, that little bit more powerful film. But you have like Samson and Delilah's the number one at box office, King Solomon's Mines, working down there, All About Eve's in the top 10. So you do have a pretty uh, Father of the Brides also in there. Oh, Cinderella. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cinderella actually too now that we're working through it so you do see that this is a solid year in film i should i should go back because apparently this was filmed in 48 kept in the can for a couple years so depending on how we want to look at it but i think 50 is going to be our standard here yeah yeah i mean it's a good year for films let's see if it includes this one (laughs) right I have complex thoughts on this one, I'll say, but jumping right into it. Which is ironic because it's not exactly a complex movie. No, I mean, that's where I mean, we'll get into that, right? Because it's it's really trying to come off as a very simple, I guess. I don't know. Parables, not right. But like, here's a very simple Christmas lesson. Very simple. But in there is just a bunch of wild shit. I kind of argue throughout this. I mean, because, okay, so if we're going to jump into the movie proper, let me just say that, you know, for when, when we read the description of it last month, I don't know what you anticipated. I anticipated, if not the talking score movie that I originally thought this was, you know, one of those cutesy family movies where, you know, that the titular animal is some kind of central character and savior to the family in need sort of thing. Like a, I don't know, like a Benji or an old yeller or something. Uh, Basically, I thought this movie was going to be much more about the squirrel than it actually is. I really had no expectations going in other than just the wild description. If anything, like it really was for the Christmas. But I thought the added benefit was I know Jimmy Durante from cartoons, Inky Dinky Doo. It's a mad, 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 mad world, which we'll we'll get into later. I wanted to see a movie that he, you know, air quotes carries, right? Cause I, I only kind of knew him. I'm much more familiar with, you know, the classic era, Marx brothers, three stooges, uh, Evan and Costello, he, et cetera, et cetera. He, he was kind of a forgotten he, guy in there. He's a character actor. Normally a comedic character actor. Character with like, actor. Yeah. With a music bent, uh, on his, uh, act. So, so I wanted to I see mean, what this was. I mean, this time of year, I hear his version of Frosty the Snowman all the time on the radio. Good point. That's actually probably the thing um, a lot of people know him from. Because looking back on this, case in point here, we're fairly familiar with old films. I didn't know much of Jimmy Durante's work, other than, like I said, the song and Frosty the Snowman and his basically cameo in Mad Mad, Mad, Mad World, right? So right. it was to see what he was there. The squirrel was just uh, gravy. And I would say the best part of this one that I wanted a lot more of, I'll say. But okay. we'll get into it. So right off the bat, this movie sets out in just, all right, we're going to go straight into fever dream territory and then kind of calm down from there. Because it starts out with basically a madman with a real squirrel with what a hat pinned to its skull or something basically yeah the, <laughs> this is the era before PETA. 
Oh, yes. I think the main Rupert throughout this was a dead squirrel that they kind of posed around in positions. I kind of suspect. Sure. Um, but anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So it's this guy, Joe, obviously a bit nuts. We're told he's the world's greatest lion tamer, but he's a little down on his luck. He's living in basically a shed connected to a house and he's training the titular Rupert, a, you know, lovely little squirrel that jumps between stop motion animation, a little puppet of some sort for medium distance and occasionally a live squirrel again with a hat pinned to his head. Well, right. some, and sometimes just footage of a squirrel running around. Oh, sure. Um, Being chased but, by but, a real mostly, dog. Yes, but mostly when it's a close-up, it's stop motion, and and the quality of it kind of reminded me of like the, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the old Rankin Bass, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer cartoon, that sort of thing. Yeah, very not. This is not the uh, Wes Anderson level of claymation, smoothly assisted stop motion stuff. It's very herky jerky kind of. I mean, weird they, they, they made. I mean, I mean, they made him semi adorable, so I kind of went with it. Again, because it was a dead squirrel. Um, but no, I, I'm gonna be kind of like crap on it here. But I loved this animation stuff. Of every time Rupert was on the screen, I was screaming in laughter. The first time I was not prepared, I was not in the mindset for, okay, Crazy Joe is going to put the squirrel down on the table, get out his little uh, accordion, uh, and start playing a little jaunty number, and Rupert starts dancing around, tipping his cap to people. The camera goes back, and it's obviously like a weird little puppet on a, a rod dancing around on this table, and it is glorious. My second note that I took is, oh, this is total madness already. Yeah. Yeah, it was just fantastic. It's apparently this guy trained this squirrel to go just nuts and can, can put on a complete show it's like the dancing frog from uh warner brothers i was gonna say i was wondering if we were gonna get like a michigan J story where when the guy comes in he's not gonna do the routine right so when the scuzzball agent shows up he's like hey joe what do you got for us and he shows them basically he's a god and he can tr- control animals and rupert starts doing his dance there's no like hey i'm a madman you know, I swear the squirrel will dance when you're not looking. The squirrel dances and puts on a whole show for this agent. And the agent's like, sorry, Joe, this will never sell in the big city. And he's like, you're busted. I'm gone. Right. And it's like, what? (laughs) This is insane. All right. I love it. And at this point, what Joe decides, I also am like, what's he just going to go throw the squirrel away now? All this hard work. Yeah, that's what he does. He goes because, that was the, that, because apparently that was the only agent ever in existence and wherever he was. Yeah, which is what is this New Jersey or something? Because they talk it's about a, he's a Broadway agent, but no, like he's the, like an ex. He's like uh, yeah, he's a he's like a former Broadway stuff. And then when we meet Jimmy Durante and his family, they're ex vaudeville people. Right. Just bumming around and they're like, but he's like, hey, he can make it in Broadway. And he's talking about Broadway, which suggests they're like a stone's throw from it. I don't know if we know where this takes place other than people are aspiring to get to New York. We really don't. don't We don't. But anyhow, Joe 
goes to a bus stop and basically for whatever reason, he's going to go out and try and make it legit or something. And he does the whole thing of like, you know, um, Harry and Henderson's, I don't know, take your pick of, you know, I got to set you free, go away, damn it. And tries to scare the squirrel away kind of a thing. And he casts the the squirrel off basically into a, a bus stop, little green space. And then, you know, moving things right along, we're introduced to Jim, Jimmy Durante and his dirtbag family. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit harsh on, on him, but they're they're off the bus. He you start out. So this is where we're given basically our first hint of the, the comedic stylings of Jimmy Durante in this. And apparently he was very late to being cast in this film. So they did rework a bunch of the script, work in his comedy, work in his musical numbers stuff. So they wanted to give it his flavor. And again, sorry if this is my only exposure to somebody who was a lot greater. I thought a lot of it felt kind of like even like a decade or two dated for this. I was thinking 50s would be a little bit more. It felt kind of like early 40s late 30s kind of comedy where he's intru- he's introduced by saying he got a letter from the the bank saying they felt it was a waste of money to spend three cents on him to tell him that they have two cents in the bank and it's like i okay. just kind of chuckled, chuckled at that though i got it i i like kind of hacky stuff like that it is it is all a little bit hacky it's like kind of like turns of phrases that just aren't quite as good as like frankly a lot of what we heard in trouble along the way just recently right true it's, it's just not quite good none of it's like groany there's no racism or any like horribly <laughs> dated stuff in here i was gonna say there's no racism there's no you know manhandling of women really well well yes i would say compared to last month oh no you're right but the Amendola daughter, we'll talk about her kind of a, a little bit in this, I suppose. But it's like it's kind of he neither here nor there. He isn't carrying this movie by any means, I don't think, even though he he is the lead. He he's has the a lion. Yeah, he's the lion share of like the comedic dialogue. But I don't think he's like but, the highlight of the film. No, but I will say I kind of went with this sense of humor only because, like I said, he's supposed to be, he and his family are supposed to be like ex-Vaudeville people. Vaudeville was sort of like a thing back in the late 1910s, early 20s, kind of died out by the 30s. So I guess to me, it made sense that his sense of humor, at least for this character, would come from that era. True, but I think it's being played as a lot more like on the surface comedy rather than a commentary True. on the character being a man of the it could also, lost to time i mean apparently it, according to your research this did sit on a shelf for a few years so you know in 1948 maybe maybe this could have not been as dated because you said it felt like something from the 40s i felt even earlier to me than that but oh by the way we kind of lost over this did you know who the director of this was yes Yes, I did. It's I Irving it and The same guy who we reviewed a few months ago with They Won't Believe Me, a total 180 from that movie. Yeah, I mean, directors then, they were workmen, they were pumping out stuff, didn't matter what it was, it was no, a gig, it's a, it's get a it gig. out there. Yeah. yeah. So, it is turning into the Irving Pichel, uh podcast also. 
So anyhow, back to Jimmy Durante and his family. They're the Amendolas. They are like 1930s, you know, Great Depression, comedically destitute, right? Literally two pennies to their they, name. No, they, they, when they come on screen, they look homeless. Right. The the daughter. So it's Jimmy Durante, husband, older uh, wife, right? Equal mm-hmm. to his age, give or take. And they have, again, I never get how old characters are supposed to be in these old movies. Like, they have an older daughter who could be playing 16, for all I know. Or she could be playing I, 25. I, I took, I might, well, here's the thing. And it's, it sounds like a slight, but it's not. Like, with older movies, people who are in their teens kind of look way more put together than than teens do now like they just were so they look so adult um i guess it's more of a compliment but um the way i took her the the way i took her was you know probably 18 late teens early 20s like maybe 2021 right and she's limping around you know, basically one pair of ill-fitting shoes. They bump into Joe, who says he just got evicted from his uh, apartment, that shack. And what a coincidence, they need a place to live. And basically, we're kind of told of the weird dichotomy of Jimmy Durante's character here, because he knows that Joe was living in this apartment for a period of time rent-free, which is exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for basically a landlord they could, they could take advantage of and take this home. So they're like, great, we'll go there. They go to this shack. It's by the way, the Dingles. And I will only from here out refer to uh, the father, the main landlord as Big Dingle and his son, the <laughs> the no good, uh, lazy, shiftless son um, as the little Dingle. Um, exclusively that going forward. They go there and it's just the little Dingle is watching the house. They He immediately makes eyes for the daughter. And you can see that this family is experienced at grifting, I'll say. It's like, you know, the match sick men kind of fast talking, just, hey, look over here. I'm distracting you by picking your pocket, but not literally, but they fast talk their way. Family knows that the daughter can kind of bad eyes and get in here. They basically steal the apartment and then they're squatting in it. Squatters rights. Mm -hmm. They now take the apartment. Yeah. So they know they won't have to pay rent on this home for a while. And we go in and this is where we'll talk about, I suppose we'll talk about it again. I'm going to take this movie as a a little bit more seriously. I'll admit for the sake of just talking through things, I'm going to take this movie a little bit more seriously than I think it has any right to be. Um, But big dingle here, I think through a, a lot of the film, they're trying to portray him as the bad guy in some ways where I think it's interesting because they do a thing where it's like they kind of undercut it at points because little Dingle says at a point that they're just struggling to make ends meet the he's living on a pension. And I know this from my own experience. A lot of times like landlords can be vilified or something like that. In a lot of circumstances, you can have a home, but you're dependent on the income from uh the 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 tenants paying the rent as a source of your income and they kind of paint the picture of big dingle being in that circumstance because it's like he doesn't have that money and he has this i don't know again 
he could be supposed to be 18 to 35 in the movie, his son. Who knows? And it's got to be in his 20s. Sure. But at a point, he's like, he makes it very clear that he's anti-work. And apparently the father hates him. And he's just sitting in this house playing his damn tuba all the time. But this is where I think Big Dingle should be a little bit more sympathetic than they kind of like portray him at points. But anyhow, he comes in, tells Big Dingle that, hey, sorry, uh, I'll get you your money soon. You know, blah, 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 blah. The daughter comes in, blah, 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 blah. They're going to, you know, start a thing. But. This is where Big Dingle, again, kind of undercutting what they tell you later on, way predating the movie. He invested in a gold mine that is now suddenly coming in. And the bank is telling him, hey, every week, week from here on out, you're going to get a check for $1,500, which if you do your inflation calculator is a little over $17,000 today per week of every, cash every week every week in perpetuity <clears throat> right and just you know it's coming in the you know the gravy trains rolling in big dingle goes to talk to his wife mrs dingle and basically says listen i am not going to be putting this in the bank he alludes to the great depression <clears throat> you know wiping out their savings previously. And I'm not going to tell you where the money is because you're going to tell our worthless son where the money is. And I don't want him knowing. So he's going to just cash it every time and then hide it in his house. And as we find out in basically a dasher board behind his bed, we also see cut to again, we don't see nearly enough of this. How we get a check in on how Rupert is doing, right? Yeah, and he's out in this little woods and it's going poorly. Other stop motion squirrels are taking his food. A real squirrel is being chased by a dog. I wonder how many squirrels they got through before they got the shot of it making it safely up the tree. But Rupert's like, nah, nah, man, I I don't, I'm not going to take any more of this. I'm going to go back home to my shack. And he goes up to a little hidey hole up in the rafters. And he has a little door and everything. It's chock full of nuts. He keeps his air corns there, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just a lovely little place. And he just is like, I'm going to hang out in here. So we now get our check back in with the the shiftless Amendola family. And here I thought was one of the funnier like direction things. Again, kind of the observation with Pichelle in the... uh, They won't believe me. Very workmanlike and directing. But there was Mm -hmm. one scene here where I kind of laughed at the direction is when the daughter and the son, um, you know, little Dingle and Amandola's daughter are walking down the street, having their first, you know, meet cute date, you know, courting, whatever. They're walking Mm -hmm. down the street and they are passing a live auction going on for Christmas trees. And you just see Jimmy Durante there for a hot second screaming, I'm going to 40 cents. And they just go past it. And I'm like, that's funny. Just that little bit of direction of just, I hope we don't go back to him, but we do eventually, which is fine. But they just, Hey, (laughs) there he was. And they just keep going past it. I, I, I thought that part was pretty good. That was good. 
But here's where we're really seeing like she only has one pair of shoes. She's borrowing his big ones to just talk around. And basically you see her talking to him about he doesn't believe in work. He sees a help want man wanted sign. Not exactly super subtle there, but I like that also. Um, Man wanted at basically a soda jerk station ice cream stand at a in a classical general store. And, um, you know, they take off. We cut back to Jimmy Durante. He's struggling to get a 40 cent Christmas tree, which with the inflation, these trees were going for like $5 today. I just bought my own Christmas tree up here. It was a hundred bucks. <laughs> That's as an aside. And I'm like, man, <laughs> I, you know, all that kind of good stuff. But we cut back to basically Mama Amendola praying now that they just need a break right and at this point it coincides with big dingle getting his money from the bank drilling a hole and putting it into the the boards so this is now intercut with stop motion rupert seeing this money coming in and he's quite cross right And he starts throwing out this money. And I'm just cackling again at this of just he's holding up. It it looks like giant, like, um, you know, the big cardboard checks you get in the sweepstakes. The stop motion squirrel is taking those and just heaving them out the door. So they start falling down on Mama Amendola. And the music cue here, I swear, it is right out of the Ten Commandments. Yes, it, it is. It's it's hilarious. Again, there's a few it parts was, in there that are legit. Well, because it's, it's because it's played out as divine intervention, right? That's what that music cue is about. Oh yeah, hundred percent, right? So it's and throughout the thing, it's like they are saying that this is a gift from God, capital G, God gift, right? So it's just I'm laughing at the squirrel. I'm laughing at the music choice. The direction. I don't think I ever legitimately laughed from anything Durandy did. I'll be honest, but there was one other written joke. I think it was meant as a written joke. So this family was a uh, a professional juggling act, right? The human pyramid. The human, the human pyramid. Right. So somewhere I think it was in this point when she was lamenting that they they can't find a steady gig. Mama Amendola has a joke where she just says, man, it's hard to find a job for a human pyramid. And I'm like, that's the funniest line of the movie. I don't know why it got me so much, but that was great. So basically, Rupert makes it rain before make it rain was ever a phrase. That's right. (laughs) So, of course, what do you do when you get this money? She goes on a crazy shopping spree, gets the craziest, like, you know, old fashioned gold tinseled Christmas tree, an enormous turkey, gets some extra clothes. And importantly, they do pay the three months down payment for rent. Cutting ahead ever so slightly, but yes. So this was Christmas Eve, you know, day. And stocking up the house, basically, you know, I got $1,500 walking around money now, wham. She just goes purely, like, self-centered. Going Well, not self-centered. I'll say she bought stuff for the Christmas family enjoyment, right? So mm-hmm. Jimmy Dranny comes in. You can tell he has, like, a very nice relationship with his wife. They joke about old, you know, romantic interests and stuff. And she tells him 
and to her, you know, who the hell would ever guess there's a semi-sentient squirrel living above you, right? She tells him it's a miracle money literally fell through a hole in their skylight. So he believes it. They're having their happy Christmas. Then it's the next day they go over to the Dingles to celebrate Christmas together. Durandy shows up in a, I don't know, a new zoot suit or something, just like a crazy <laughs> suit. And pays $100 in cash to Dingle. Here's my three months advanced payment. And then they have a big holiday party together, right? And this is where we've, and during the previous date, Little Dingle and Daughter Amendola, they're both musical people. He writes a horrible piece of music for a harp and a tuba. They play that together. Uh, we get Jimmy Durante doing, obviously straight out of his act, Jingle Bells and a couple songs. And it's all I very was waiting for pleasant. to see the snowman. I was wondering if it came from this. I again, I, I completely kind of thought, forgot about that. I knew it until you kind of mentioned it. Yeah, that would have made sense having that show up in here. But it's like a, it's a fun rendition of Jingle Bells that he does, right? It's I mean, it's Jimmy Durante, so it's it, yeah. it's it's amusing. This is where he's hitting his stride, right? This is his gimmick, and he's kind of doing it, and it's it's just charming, right? It, none of his stuff is offensive or bad it's just kind of here neither here nor there all just pleasant we'll move ahead right kind of stuff and this is where you know him and big dingle start to bond together dingle wants to get into showbiz there's a kind of a you know a trick that he shows him i just didn't quite get whatever we move ahead past christmas and they're starting to find that they're out of money because (laughs) Jimmy Durante is very interesting. Again, this is another like gag in the movie that I thought was pretty funny. He comes back and he's bought now a polar bear rug that is also a radio. Yeah. And it's it's eyes light up when you twist one of his teeth. And I'm like, now again, there's big areas of just absurdity in this movie, mostly around the squirrel. But there is a bit of absurdity with some of the characters. So you see that they're blowing this money. Too, right? Like, who needs that when they're oh, living yeah. in a hovel? But you're also seeing where this is where maybe it's like, oh, hey, we need to have a lesson in this. He's also, air quotes, blowing his money by giving it to soft case, charity case, business people. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird in the messaging of this. See, because I, I I had to rewind it a couple of times because when he said he was giving it to business people, I was like, does he mean like bookies? Is he betting on stuff? And no, he's not betting on stuff. But it, it just it, it wasn't clear to me the first time. It's it, it it there is some basic kind of weird scripting stuff that makes this a little bit more confusing than a, a sentient squirrel movie should be. But it is right. So Mm -hmm. we're told that he is, he's probably like a very well-meaning idiot. The Jimmy Durante character, right? He loves his family, but he doesn't know how to take care of them. You know, sometimes love isn't just enough. He loves his daughter, but he doesn't know how to provide for her. Maybe at some point you have to give up the juggling gig, right? You know, that kind of stuff. And once he gets that money, he buys a polar bear rug, but he also has, he's such a soft touch that he gives $500 to what was it? A 
it was a furniture guy in this case, right? Yeah. Which it's easily, and I'm thinking at this point, is it like, is he getting swindled from the money? Where is this going? That's what I thought. Because like, I was like, is this a, to cover bets? Is this to cover debts? Or, you know, I just, you know. Because in this, they're also told we, they are paying their previous debts that they had outstanding in Chicago, the last city they right. ran from. So they're also kind of ethical in some ways, but they also knowingly wanted to steal an apartment from somebody who was rubbing his own two pennies together kind of a thing. It's just like very weird where it makes you wonder. It's like I kind of end up going like, where is the message in this? Ultimately, things work out. But it's by blind frickin' luck and stuff right. like that at points. But anyhow, we're, we're seeing that he is now blowing through this money. So what's left to do? Let's get our magic <laughs> rocking chair and pray to Jesus Christ Almighty once again that we need money. And of course, it's always at Thursday at 3 o'clock. And Big Dingle is putting his money in there again. Rupert hears the prayers and throws more money down. Hallelujah. The Ten Commandments starts playing again. It is just miracle once again. So (laughs) this is where it's like, it's just so wild. We now, and I'm like, okay, are we, is this squirrel just a crazy socialist? This is just welfare or uh, wealth redistribution. Not not always because we forgot to mention at least a couple points during, I think it's already happened at this point where Jimmy Durante throws up a couple of nuts or something and they don't come back down. That's right. And that's a little bit of a, um, you know, check off comes uh, a plot later later. on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also in here again, there's just so much absurdity around the squirrel and the money stuff. We're missing, the weird manipulation that the daughter's doing because around Christmas time here, also that agent who <laughs> didn't see the amazing uh, squirrel as a, uh, a ticket to fame, he shows up and immediately state starts making eyes with Amandola daughter also. And she is all about it. Just all over him in this. Mm-hmm. And Immediately, she's going out every day, we're told, with him. And he is all over her in the car, you know, just, you know, not making out. We're not like to that level or anything overt in this, but obvious interest, romantic interest there. And she is leading him on like nobody's business. She is letting him believe it. We're shown that she does give that horrible piece of music for the harp and trumpet or uh, excuse me, tuba to uh, the agent to try and sell the music passes it off as her own kind of a little bit of ambiguity and what her intention is there. But in there, she's trying to make the Amendola kid jealous kid. He could be a senior in college, whatever. You mean the you mean little dingle? Little oh man, you caught me. Little dingle jealous. And this is where he goes off and gets a job to legitimize himself. He becomes a soda jerk, right? And right. then this is where we get our time jump. 
And we see this with Big Dingle coming out of the the bank and taking his coat off. So now we're months into this. Every I, I, single paycheck is going straight into the Amendola's pockets. Right, because because they, I guess the passage of time is supposed to be shown to us because a bunch of businesses and stuff are now called Amendola's and he's been investing in, in spreading his wealth around his wealth, quote unquote. Right. So at this point, it's now tens of thousands of dollars in the movie money, 1940s money. Right. It has to be. It's just enormous sums of money are just being stolen from the Dingles. And meanwhile, and meanwhile, you know, Big Dingle has no idea that any of this is happening. As far as he's concerned, it's all still in the floorboard. Exactly right. So great passage of time. And we're we're seeing now that the Amendolas are making a huge profit off of his now we're seeing that uncertainty of where that money was going of his charity. He's basically becoming partners in furniture stores, bakeries, you name it, hardware stores, um, you know, clothing stores. The whole neighborhood is becoming Amendola and partners, right? And he's right. trying to get and money you, from and, these investments. And yes, but all the while they still may try to make it clear to the viewer that he's still spending the money um amicably oh with a lot of these people that and but they are also profiting profiting greatly from it personally they have now live in an incredibly gaudy just wall to wall just it's just white i don't know how they would have colorized it in uh your version but just like they remember. they tricked out their shack right but they have to stay there because this is where god's magic money portal is coming down right so they are also very selfishly profiting from this right kind of altruistic to an extent but also very selfishly doing it and taking it from you know the dingles and at this point, I mean, we're rapidly moving through the movie because when you kind of condense it down to this, there's no like well, that, essential scene. Well, that's kind of a thing. That's what I was going to say. And, and that's kind of kind of be my summary at the end just to preview it. But like, I don't know how you feel, but just, there's parts of this where it like, I don't hate it, but it doesn't really feel like a movie. It feels like a series of events. Yeah. I mean, it's there's. I mean, where was there any great scene where there's a great turn of character or, you know, anything that was like a standout scene other than just the wonderful, absurd stop motion squirrel stuff? That's sure. But, uh, but other than that, it kind of feels like, you know, this movie is a series of and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened, you know, without kind of some sort of arc going through it. Which, OK, again. Putting it in what it is, this is a family kind of sure. lesson learned holiday film, right? Which, okay, I still want a bit more of a cohesive, you know, you don't always have to settle for the lowest common denominator, even if it is setting a bar low, right? I still want well-executed narratives, et cetera, et cetera. But then it's like, okay, if that's what it's going to be, let's get to that lesson learned and like nail what that lesson is. And that's where I think this has that a big gap, a gap at that point. Right. 
So at this point, and I want to give the movie credit where there should be credit. I'm asking at this point, like, okay, is this in the real world? Because this is just a tremendous amount of money. And it's being flashy and kind of weird. Like, this is a lot of undeclared income. Potentially. It's like a modern day equivalent of hundreds of thousands of dollars that's being spread around. And it does, like, address this in some, like... Oh, wow. Surprising ways. This whole town starts city again. This could be, you know, Hoboken. I, I don't I don't know where it is, but it's apparently a pretty significant type of a city. It's become like the talk of the town of how are they getting this money? Blah, blah, blah. You know, he's in the mob. He's on the run from whatever you know he is the mob um you know uh, yeah he, Jimmy Durante, a, right? a godfather yeah 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 right and then one of the other ones is like oh they went this way it's the daughter is since she's seeing this agent every day he is paying and he's like a sugar daddy or whatever the equivalent of non-super salacious version of that would be but it's being basically you know, a prostitute though yeah, I put in my thing, it's like hooking. It's like they wouldn't go that far, but it's like, wow, you know, putting the daughter out there. Which, by the way, at, at this point, um, little Dingle is overhearing this and really comes to the conclusion. That whole thing about working, yeah, I was serious about that. I'm not going to work anymore. And he just shoves an ice cream sundae in a dude's face for talking bad about the girl he's all fancied about. So right. he loses his job. He's now drinking one off and he's starting to take and, you know, cause it is such an important point to the air quote lesson at the end. Little Dingle goes off to a bar and he's like talking with a guy that was introduced very mysteriously earlier on is just, Hey, we're friends. Everybody knows that just some guy could be the town drunk. I mean, he's at this bar. You, you literally don't know anything about him. And he comes with an investment opportunity for Little Dingle. We need $2,000, which again, for that time is just, you know, tens of thousands, you know, yeah. uh, uh, 25,000 probably in my head, something around that. And Little Dingle is like all about it. And he's like, well, at this point, somehow he knows his dad is getting this money, right? The word around town is Big Dingle is going to the bank all the time. So Little Dingle wants to go get the money from him. You know, he goes and talks. The father has doesn't lead on that he, this money even exists. He's not going to do that. And Jimmy Durante overhears these discussions between Little Dingle and his daughter, blah, blah, blah. He's willing to give him the money, which is, of course, just Dingle's money at this point. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. The money is apparently given to him. We don't. I don't think we actually see that at any point, but it's given to him. So now, rapidly going towards the end of the film, the consensus that was reached by all the mob mentality was, "Hey, let's call the FBI. Let's call the IRS. Let's call the cops. Amendola needs to be investigated," and they all show up. Which I'm like, at the same time, right? Which is a comedic thing. It's not so bad. At this point, it's also like, okay, so this is in the real world. You know, a lot of times in these movies, the IRS doesn't come into it. So this is all interesting. So I'm like, okay, how are they going to handle this? 
he, after lying through his teeth that they see completely through, he tells them, hey, God, literally, again, God with a capital G, is giving us this money, but it only happens on Thursdays between 3 and 3.30. Come on back. Which, which sounds like... Which sounds like another lie, of course, but I mean, it is the truth as far as he's concerned. And for whatever reason, the IRS, the F- FBI, you know, the, the local sheriff, police department go, okay, we'll allow for this. We'll I'll, humor you. Yeah, We'll come back, apparently with the press. There's a camera guy there. And we get an amazing shot of Jimmy Durante's bald, you know, head laying on the ground. I didn't even recognize it was as him because they're getting tired praying to God. No money comes because we find that the gold mine has now run dry. There will be no more money. The dingles are left hanging. There is no more money coming in. Right. So, but thank God we now have what? Hundreds of thousands of dollars saved. It will be fine. So, (laughs) The FBI is like, all right, tough luck. You're coming with us. You get your co- comedic I mean, banter of who's going to. I mean, I'm surprised. I'm surprised they didn't bring like the butterfly net that they use back there for, to take people off to the to the asylum. I would have welcomed that in this. So anyhow, he gets his last smoke for whatever reason, like people do in their home. When you're done with a cigarette, you just throw it into the air. Rupert grabs it. Hence the Chekhov's gun. <laughs> situation (laughs) he takes his cigarette butt back into his room and because it's just full of squirrel shit and little um, ribbons of paper and stuff there's a fire the squirrel's freaking out in the fire again i was gonna say that 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 bitch lights up real quick oh it's just damn it rupert why'd you keep all the oily rags in your hole so the place is just an inferno and i'm like oh my god did they kill rupert um and they're running from the house my my favorite thing my favorite unintentional laugh since you mentioned a couple was when big dingle goes upstairs opens the door out comes all the smoke (laughs) he's like help me help me and like he could easily just run down the stairs yeah that was not big dingle's greatest moment he uh, succumbed to the the smoke immediately, and little Dingle had to carry his ass. And and the smoke had the smoke hadn't even wafted into the whole room yet when he succumbed. No, at most, at most, his eyes would be a little stingy at that. Like you know, he that was complete like caving under the pressure kind of a thing. That that was my biggest so, unintentional laugh. <laughs> and did you notice through the horrible ADR when they're trying to save their stuff, they pull out the polar bear rug radio and Jimmy Durante says, I get, I grab the radio. I have to listen to the Jimmy Durante show. Yes. Oh yes. I forgot about that. And it's like fourth wall breaking too, in this now too. Wow. Too, this movie, what the hell too is this much. Movie? too yeah, much? It's, it's a, it's a bit much. So anyhow, they get out in front. I, I, I did laugh at though at the at the Armandolas running back and forth, just taking all their shit that they want to save. Again, very materialistic, right? And it's like, where is the message on this? Because they're saving their shit. With this, was just like, hey, a lesson was learned. All we need is family. It'd be Jimmy Durante going like, hey, you know, we started from nothing. We go back to nothing. You're the only ones I need. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that was in here. 
No. Right. So it's like, where is the to messaging the point, on this? To the point where I need you to tell me what the message is because I don't know what it is. Right. And I think that's going to be my, I wanted you to tell me what the message was. But we do see the firemen do bring out a very much real squirrel who apparently had a much better capacity and uh, than Big Dingle for this. They just said he was overcome by the smoke, shook it off and ran up a tree and took off. Right. So, yeah. you know, Rupert, if you were worried, was made it out unscathed. But during the course of the chaos, somehow, I guess everybody figures out that all that money that they were getting monthly or weekly, excuse me, was the Dingles money just somehow passing right. through the wall. They don't know about the squirrel element to this. No, that oh, the the. Uh, <laughs> The wonderful viewer is the only one entitled to that. And they never do. Right. So the, I guess they kind of find out about this and Amendola figures out that, oh, we've been getting that money. So he tells Mr. Dingle, big Dingle at a point here, we'll rebuild your house better than ever, you know, with your money. And, you know, you know, great. There is much rejoicing. And then just like a really curious, like structural thing to the movie, which I guess it's why I don't know. You have to pick which happy ending you focus on. But we see Rupert now re, you know, uh, meets with Joe, his original handler. Joe's back in town. He's got a gig for them. And we see a time lapse thing of basically Rupert gaining his fame and fortune. Right. right, and slowly going from like the side character to the star of the show, which was a the nice posters. Yeah, poster with his name on it keeps getting bigger and bigger. Which was a nice little transitional thing. It's really weird that that wasn't the bookend to the movie because it starts with Joe and Rupert. It doesn't. Th- that should have been him. the bookend of the movie, right? Like you know, he gets his fame and fortune because he, I guess, was the guardian angel and he got his reward. The movie is named after the squirrel, after all. But no, we don't end well, on him. Certain certain versions is. Tucci. So we go back now, another time jump, and it's them opening up the house that looks just like kind of fancied up version of the same house. Amandola presents it to the Dingles. Little Dingle asks uh, daughter Amandola, to marry him much rejoice rejoicing that's the end and also actually in there the fbi irs and you know secret service you name the agency they all they're, they're all i'm i'm out yep i'm done and it's like uh okay why put him in in the first place then like if it's like well, I understood. I what was what was funny was like I understood why the cops and the FBI pulled out, but the IRS guy basically pulled out because. And it, correct me if I'm wrong. His reasoning essentially boiled down to it's too much work to explain. I don't feel like it. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about like narrative shortcuts and explaining. If you actually do explain it, again, my favorite bit of writing ever in a movie is in Big Trouble in Little China. When they're getting out at the end and Kurt Russell is trapped, they look up in a hole in the ceiling and the egg Shen is up there. And you have yeah. no idea how he got up there. Kurt Russell asks, how did you get up there? 
and he just says wasn't easy and that's all you need it is perfectly efficient writing it is brilliant it's my favorite writing ever in a movie so i appreciate incredibly lazy outs like that occasionally but it also makes me wonder like why were they in here in the first place but whatever i mean it just not to put too fine a point on it, but it just reminded me of like my own job where it's just like I get cases where it's like, give me a reason to not charge this because I don't want to deal with this case. <laughs> I respect that. So actually, there's like a lot of other couple t- loose ends here because I'm like, OK, I can kind of see where these lessons are coming of like. Oh, hey, you know. At a certain point, she's going to make money off of that song. Right. I I mean, I guess the the lesson that I come away with maybe is don't shit on the little people or they're less fortunate because you never know when they can turn around to help you, quote unquote. Because, I I mean, it goes for for Rupert because, you know, they shit on him at the beginning and he's the one who played this big difference in the Amandola's lives and... Uh, the Amandolas who start from nothing are the ones that help bail out the Dingles in the end. Granted, with their with the Dingles' own money, but they did come through for them in the end. So, I guess that's it. I, 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 that's the best I could come up with. Well, the things that like complicate all of this stuff. Like, but I think we can talk about that. But it's like she does. They do. She does get the rights to that song sold, right? So, in theory, little Dingle and daughter Amandola are going to make money on their own here. And, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. At least that's like, they'll got that. They'll have that covered. Yes. She was obviously leading the agent on. And yes, she was horribly manipulating little Dingle, but that's all kind of played off in the end of like, Oh no, no, I wasn't doing that. I was just trying to get our song sold. No, no, no. She was absolutely trying to make him jealous and just being weirdly manipulative. So that's all weirdly complicated there. And then also the oil field that they invested in struck gold, right? Uh, And he's going to start making money off of that. So it's like, okay, we're told of like the lessons here are so weird and confounding at a point where it's like, maybe it had to be a lot simpler for dopey me to understand because yes, it could be like, don't shit on the little guy. But I think it kind of undercuts that because it is like the little guy is also big dingle in times. Cause they, again, why put in there in the, in the dialogue that he's struggling due to a low pension to make ends meet. He is presented as the little guy who also is not that bad when he's just letting people live in his house rent free for months on end. Right. He is I, being I didn't charitable say, too. I didn't say it was a clear lesson. I'm just saying that's the only one that I could come up with. The So, yes, but the, and it's like that could be one, but I think the movie undercuts it itself. I guess the oh, other yeah. one is being charitable. But it's being charitable with money that someone else's money, right? Which we've never really told that are all these furniture stores, the bakery. Is it Amandola Dingle and whatever now? Are we presented that like, oh, he's cut into all these things because he was actually the silent partner and everything. 
the unwitting, right. unwitting silent partner. No, we, we never find out. No, he gets the house back that he never should have lost in the first place if Jimmy Durante wasn't smoking in his property with rodents. And he, and he paid for by the money that he that was his. Right. So this was just a really long place to get Dingle back to zero. He starts out where, where he started. No real money. And there's also like a thing of like Mrs. Dingle at one point says, you know, you could invest this money. And he goes, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, that's why he has money. He did invest. So like at yeah. every point of the thing, it's like where Jimmy Durante is being shown to be um, altruistic and investing for his own personal benefit, too. He's reaping the benefits of these. These aren't charity. He's buying in on a partnership. Right. The exact same thing is what Dingle did. Dingle Dunn did the same thing. Yeah. And it, it was just in a, a, a gold mine. Presumably that money was the seeding fund to whoever benefited on that end. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, what is it? The lesson is believe in the town drunk when he comes to you for an investment opportunity. What madness is that? What's the chance? Like, why was that in here at all? It's just so confounding of like, I get that there's a general I'm hand waving now idea of don't be, you know, super selfish, sharing your wealth, general Christian behavior. But they also blow all their money on polar bear rugs. And it's like, what the what the fuck is this? It's so crazy. I know. I, I just don't get it, man. I don't get it. I don't know if we're supposed to get it, <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, I'm all for like a movie being weirdly intentionally confusing. But when I look at like other holiday films contemporaneous of this time, they're simple parables or lessons learned they're not like weirdly nuanced and it's also like okay is jimmy Durante the guy who's going to be doing the weird nuanced character or is it just fucking weird confusion and they okay but even like doing. even if this wasn't like a, a lesson movie let's just say for the sake of argument that this is supposed to be like a comedy of errors movie it's set up like a comedy of errors movie the problem is no one ever figures out the error the errors in the end no, it's it's there's fundamental like weird scripting things of like how much did Dingle know that that money was still his? I mean, if you really cut down into it, did Dingle think that was just Amendola's uh, money that he was just paying it forward to him rather than paying him back his money? Because it's almost right. pay it because you see the the direction of knowledge and how that scene is laid out when they're observing the fire. Dingle is lamenting all of his money is gone and you hear people downstream overhear it. And that's where Amendola pieces it together. You don't necessarily see the presentation that Amendola is feeding the information back up that we've been getting that it very well could be that Dingle thought the money was truly gone, but thank God I have this nice friend next door who wanted to repay my damage that's 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 literally what i think happened and that's why i say it's a comedy of errors without you know our main characters really discovering the errors so i mean i'm so deeply confused yeah but anyhow i mean the movie does continue from here right because 
what we find out later is that Amendola was just the stage name of Jimmy Durante's character. Oh, oh yes. And, <laughs> and I, I think he may have, he may have eventually gotten tired of, of his family and decided to put away a certain amount of money, perhaps uh, 350 G's, would you say? I think it, well, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm going to just spoil because this works out way too easily. It's almost like they wanted people to make this connection. It's absurd. So remember last month, Matt made me a challenge after I spun this golden tail bullshit around the, uh, the damn Aztec mummy story. He wanted me to connect Jimmy Durante in this movie to Jimmy Durante at the beginning of it's a mad, 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 mad world. Because it's the thing that you and I know him for the best. That is the movie that started this whole podcast, right? Without us actually covering it directly. So we should one of these days, but we should. Uh, you know, it, we're a slave to our uh, rules, but we might be able to make an exception at some point. I just watched a bunch of it last night, by the way, in prep for this. So, anyhow, the movie begins with Jimmy Durante, who is told 15 years earlier he robbed a bank, which, if you do the math, it's pretty much perfectly to when this takes place, when the great yeah. river takes place. Right. And when he dies in that movie, he tells all the guys who come down, you know, having uh, a sell, like all the guys that come down, uh, I want to give you this money. Take it. It's yours. Live a happy life. Go back to the old neighborhood. And I'm like, oh, it's really the same kind of character. He's giving this money away to just like strangers. So it works out remarkably well. Right. So my head canon now is that Amendola was just that's their stage name. There are the marvelous Amendolas or whatever. But his real name was Smiley something or other. Okay. Yeah. So exactly. Right. And because we got no resolution to the IRS thing here, it's, oh shit, the IRS didn't actually just look the other way. I'm going to take this money and hide it from them. All my other investments, all that uncertainty of how much extra money he made, I'm going to go hide this. I'm going to, because I globetrot around the country working in vaudeville, I can like go around. I'm just going to bury it under a big W out in California. I'm mostly working Fallville on the East coast. Who would ever think out there? So he's actually hiding from the IRS, but because nobody ever knew how he got the money, who could ever really connect that he stole it from the Dingles. He wasn't going to admit that because he would have to give it back to the Dingles. He wasn't mm -hmm. going to do that. He cut ties with them, right? He paid off that house. He's out of there. In his mind, he's square, right? So the legend comes up that how else could you get this much money? He robbed a bank. No, he never robbed a bank. There was somebody who just looked like him. So he hid it there and he was just going to go back and get the money is all. That's it, man. It's mm -hmm. too easy. There you go. Now, I didn't what, even have to work. What, at this now, one. now, did he dump his the daughter and wife then along the way? Oh, she got married and took off and the wife was just <laughs> old as F. She died. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to work that hard at this one, Matt. Like I said, this was like... Well, it's funny because when I texted to, to remind you that I, I was still wanting this challenge to be done, I was only about halfway through the movie without realizing how it ends. And I was like, oh, well, this is... I could, I could have done this. Yeah, right. And, and it's like the, the second half of it is just... He is just so willing to give this money away. It's like it's a waste that this money is being left under a big W. 
right? So he's just so <laughs> eager to give it away. It's like it's really the the Mad Mad World is about Sid Caesar and Mil- Milton Berle and Ethel Merman and everyone in there trying to to find what's left of the Dingle's money. The Dingle Dongle. Yep. So there you go. So Matt, back to the movie here. Do you have any final thoughts on this one? Again, it, this is one of those ones where like, I, I didn't come away like saying I, you know, I had time wasted. I just, it was a thoroughly strange experience that I kind of enjoyed for what, what, what was going on. That's the best way I can put it. I pretty much have to say the exact same thing. It's like such an, <clears throat> inoffensive it's short too if it was any longer than the 87 minutes it would have dragged right but it it's quick breezy the moments where you see rupert which i wanted a lot more of are so wild it's fun jimmy durandy i'm happy i got to see what he's about you get a good taste of it um but it's like i'm happy i watched it it was not time wasted but it's not like some great classic. It's just like a weird absurdity, kind of like uh, it, one of the other great benefits of this podcast of like, when the hell would I've ever come across this, but I'm happy I did to check it off some box somewhere, but I don't have to go back to this one <laughs> too soon. I mean, and usually the question we ask ourselves and I'll, I'll answer for me, does it hold up? Not really, but should you watch it? Eh. Maybe. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I would it, to make it into like a family rotation, like if I were to get my son into older films, I would want a little bit more of a less, you know, nebulous, like be good message. Yeah. Even if it's just plain be charitable without kind of inherently contradicting himself or itself, mm-hmm. I would have taken that. But it's a little bit weird for maybe a kid. And now, obviously, no kid's going to wait through like Jimmy Durante stuff to get to the 30 second snippet of Rupert every once in a while. I was going to say, if we put all of his stuff together, he, he has to be less than three total minutes of the movie. Oh, if that. Yeah, it needed more of the Rupert. Anyhow, should we look forward to where we'll be venturing in the new year? Yeah, and and it's kind of interesting because um, we had a bunch of random movies last month, but really the next month is like a bunch of classics that we have to choose from. There are some big ones in here, right? So starting out, Matt, this will be your pick. The random number generator has spoken. The five movies that we have to select from are 1965's Beach Blanket Bingo, The Surf... (laughs) The surfing gang, the surfing gang, rescues a beautiful singer from evil bikers. It's 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 the surfing gang because it's one of those series of Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello movies. I really only know this name. Uh, I if you asked me to bet, I would have said this was one of those Elvis ones because it seems like that was most of his movies. No, I, I knew this was one of one of these movies, but yes, it does sound like one of the Elvis movies. You're right. Right. Next is from 1953, The Bandwagon. A Broadway artiste turns a faded film star's comeback vehicle into an artsy flop. By the way, first one was a musical. This one is also a musical. 
from 1949, Adam's Rib. A happily married, middle-aged husband and wife strained their marriage while serving as a trial attorneys on opposite sides of the same headline-making attempted murder case. He is the prosecutor, and she is the defender. Comedy. Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn. I suspect that's where we're going to be going this month. 1946. Gilda, a gambler, discovers an old flame in South America, but she's married to his new boss. Suspense mystery, by the way. I, I want to say, too, that this is, I think Rita Hayworth won, won an award for that one, too, because I know that film's come up whenever her name's come up. I really go out of my way not to prepare at all for the ones you're going to pick. I want to go in, like, mostly unknown and just be happy with whatever we get. And then finally, also from 1949, Three godfathers, three outlaws on the run, risk their freedom and their lives to return a newborn to civilization. Here's where we risk turning into a John Wayne podcast once again. I know. And it's a John Ford film, by the way. So, Matt, I showed my hand in there. I suspected. I was going to say that 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 summary, basically, I guess they took three godfathers and turned it into the first ice age because that's what the first ice age is about. Oh, is it? <laughs> sure. Well, I'm all for those uh, stealthy um, hidden remakes. Um, well, I show my hand, like I said. I think the appeal of Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, for in, uh, for whatever reason, I'm thinking Catherine Hepburn, uh, you're all about her for this. So I'm going to go with Adam's Rib, but prove me wrong, Matt. What is your selection and rationale for it? Well, I wish I could, but boy, you know me so well. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Um, and part of the rationale for it is, yes, I do like Catherine Hepburn, but I will say, um, A, I've never seen Adam's Rip before, but, but I, I, I know it's come up as one of their classic movies. Uh, but, but I will say that, um, this was also motivated by something totally unrelated to this movie that during last year, during quarantine, I tried to start watching a bunch of movies that I had always, always meant to get to, but never had the time. and. During quarantine last year, we had nothing but time. So um, uh, last year, I watched um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner for mm. the first time. And it was, you know, a film that really not only blew me away because of the story, but I really liked the on-screen chemistry of Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn, which, you know, of course they would. They were a couple in real life, and that was their last movie together. Um, and so when this came up and and... It feels like a movie that I would be interested in. I, I definitely love the cast. Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Judy Holliday. The director, I mean, George Cukor is one of those classic directors. Let's just, I'm looking at his uh, biography, but his filmography, but The Philadelphia Story, Gaslight, A Star is Born with uh, Judy uh, Garland, uh, and My Fair Lady. Um and I, I believe he's also the one who did Some Like It Hot, which is one of my favorite movies. Mm. Um, Big one. So classic director, great cast, and synopsis that kind of pulled me in. So, And like I said, wanting to watch more Tracy Hepburn after uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Well, I can't argue with any of that logic. That's gotten me excited for it. So until then, when we revisit or visit, for the first time, stay away from John Wayne. 
and going into Spencer Tracy territory with Catherine Hepburn. Until then, I'm Matt in Buffalo. And I'm Matt in Arizona, and I could sure use the extra cash right now, so let me just go ahead and say a prayer real quick. Matt, these shoes.